It's time for episode 435 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, January 26th, 2022. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that always makes time for you. My name is Dan Morin, and I am joined across the internet by my good friend, my pal, my co-host, my dungeon buddy, Micah Sargent. How are you doing today, Micah? <gasps> joined by me? Ah, how did you summon me like this, Dan? Ah, oh, this is awesome. Hello. <laughs> Hi. snapped my fingers, and you, you appeared. Uh, I promise I only will use this power for good. <laughs> He says while he, <laughs> while he rubs his hands together menacingly. <laughs> well, this is, of course, the show where we discuss four tech topics with two fantastic guests to my left this week. It's the community manager at Micro.blog and a podcaster at many fine podcasts, not all of which are Star Trek related, but some of which are Star Trek related. It's Gene McDonald. <laughs> Welcome back, Gene. I'm glad to be here. And to my left, it is an automation expert, as well as just an all-around great guy. It's Matthew Casanelli. Welcome back to the show, Matthew. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me back. All right. I'm going to kick things off today with this simple and unprovocative headline, AirTags, <laughs> Threat or Menace. <laughs> what, do you, what do you make of the various reports that have been going around about the people, people misusing AirTags and using them in in sort of uh, downright creepy ways. Uh, should Apple make changes to the AirTag structure? What What's going on here? Any thoughts, Gene? I have thoughts, um, but I will not take up the whole 30 minutes. I <laughs> will say, I think this is pretty scary. I mean, I know there is a Apple, let's call it an Apple tax in PR, that Apple gets a lot of flack for th something that other people are also making or doing. And um, it's just that Apple is popular and also Apple stories um, sell newspapers if there were such a thing <laughs> as newspapers. Um, but here's my take is that this is very serious, um, even if it's not widespread. It's we're talking about people here. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that Apple needs to do more than just uh, say, oh, we take security very seriously, because that's, uh, that isn't very comforting. And what I, I do think the air tags should make a sound sooner than apparently it's eight hours. I don't have any air tags. So why wouldn't they sound right away when you're separated from them, certainly within 15 or 30 minutes, if it was a case of you left your thing with an air tag on at home, and you don't want to bother, say your guinea pigs, you would um, be able to geofence it. I think that's not that can't be hard. I mean, because if somebody's dropped an air tag on you without your knowledge, you should be able to find out fast. Mm -hmm. And so I don't totally understand exactly how they work, but apparently you can deregister the air tag. You know, if it's so, if you're doing something nefarious with it, you you take it off your your iPhone, and then can it not be tracked back to you? I think that air tags users should be we should be able to find out who they are regardless of what they do after they've planted their air tag on somebody now i have seen people who uh, have said well there's also these excellent things that have happened with air tags like people haven't lost their stuff when they're moving they find out the moving truck driver is lying or they they track down a car thief or a bike thief and i'm like yeah that's all great but it doesn't compare to 
the terror that somebody would feel that somebody is tracking them. And, you know, just not to put too fine a point on it, I think you need to listen to the women who are not satisfied with these explanations so far, Apple. Yep. Um, I absolutely uh, agree with that. I think one thing that I will say in the positive camp before the rest of it is negative is part of the fact that there are so many stories about this means that part of this is working as directed because people are being alerted that these things are on people's persons and therefore that is what leads to these stories. When we think about all of the $15 GPS trackers I could buy on Amazon.com today if I wanted to that don't alert people that they are being tracked, um, that you can place you know, somewhere in someone's car or in uh, on their person that don't have this mechanism. Though there are no stories or very few stories about those because people don't carry around little scanners to track uh, bug trackers and are, are not able to know that those are there. So the fact that there are a lot of stories about AirTags being discovered tracking people means that they are at least alerting people to the fact that it's happening, um, which is resulting in people being more aware of it, where maybe they would not have been aware of it if somebody was using one of these, you know, cheapo Amazon things where you just have a cellular account uh, that you pay five bucks a month for uh, to track somebody, or they're using the person's phone because they don't realize that they're still logged in on the account that they share or what have you. Um, So I will say that that is the one positive about it. But the negative is that, yes, the fact that this is happening, this is terrifying, especially when you think about, because there's one sort of harrowing tale I was reading about somebody who was driving home and got that notification. And then they're thinking, what what do I do now? I, I don't want to go home. I don't want to tell this person where I live. Like, do I drive to a store? Am I going to be safe at a store? Do I go to the police station? You know, where can I go that I'll feel safe where I'm not trying to uh, go home? And then I think, too, my last point is that people should be aware um, that Apple absolutely made these devices. They make it very clear that they made these devices as lost item finders, but stolen item finders. People trying to sort of be the vigilante we all want to be at times and, you know, oh, something was stolen from me and I'm going to go get it and then they get hurt or something bad happens. That's not what these are for. That's why they do the beeping. That's why they alert people. It's uh, it would make it very difficult in many cases to actually use this to find a stolen item. Because I think Apple doesn't want responsibility for for that. Uh, Matthew, what are your thoughts? I do want to first just thank Jean for her her perspective, especially because I think what's so hard about something like this is, especially in the Apple tech community, is it does seem like a lot of men talking about it. Mm. And when I tweeted about it, almost every reply being like, oh, it's fine. Like these air tags are still worth it was from a, a man. And I was always like, this is not the angle that it should be coming from, because I am very much on the part about the terror that that person experiences. I just found the woman who or I, I didn't find her because who was tracked like the big story in November and she's now no longer on the internet because she can't, this became a story and now even just like her public presence can't be a thing anymore. And so Gosh. I think I just really like came from like, I don't care about losing my keys. 
Like if this happens to anyone, it's terrible. That stuff sticks with you forever. And you, a piece of hardware that you lose is very temporary. And I think the scale of Apple's iPhone network is what changes this from anything like tile. Like you had to have the tile app installed on your phone for it to make sense versus every single iPhone, iPad, and Mac generating this network, I think is a scale that is unheard of. This is why it was so good. And it's also why it's so bad in many ways. I think the biggest thing they need to do is Apple needs to work with the other phone manufacturers to make this a standard on the phones so that every single phone gets alerted by these because that's where I do think them alerting you is way better than what it was before. And that's a huge difference. And I think can educate people that these things are there. It's like this slick thing that is supposed to help kind of like rich people find their expensive products and like these women are paying the price for it. So like probably not worth it in my book, I would say, but I think there are many avenues and many smarter people at Apple than me that could figure it out. And they should have done this better before they launched it also. Yeah. yeah, Especially because it took a long time between when we knew this was a product and when it actually came out and you still feel like you guys still didn't quite (laughs) spend the amount of time that you needed to on, maybe you got the technology down, but you didn't really think through all the implications. Uh, I mean, I think in some ways there are some there are some interesting overlaps here with the whole uh, Apple's attempt to do the CSAM uh, filtering uh, a while back. And and certainly they're very different issues, but it, it shows a similar sort of, we didn't entirely think through how people were going to react to this. I mean, no technology when it actually interacts with people uh, quite survives the expectations of the people who created it. I think you could say that to basically anybody who made it, you know, was key in developing a certain piece of technology. So I think they did just replace their PR person too so yeah maybe well this and, and to it. to another note this just <laughs> yesterday as we record this they published a lengthy security guide talking about personal and digital security i think probably in part as a show that they were trying to take this more seriously but i agree with what all of you have said that I think there's a lot of different interesting factors here at play. One being the sort of the reach of the network being a, a big factor in why we don't hear about this for things like Tile or as Amazon or as uh, Micah mentioned, the things you can get on Amazon, um, you know, which can be used to similar effect. Uh, there is a difference in how the technology here is implicated. Uh, and I appreciate Gene's perspective and, and a great point about like, you know, what is sort of the perspective of people who have been tracked by these things? How how does that play in? How is Apple treating that and responding to that? that i realize the technology is one of those things that you know it can be used for good and it can be used for evil um and you're never going to eliminate everybody who wants to use it for a nefarious purpose but you need to plan for that and you need to figure out how you can minimize that and if the answer is apple saying well we've done everything we can then i agree with with matthew that you haven't done enough and maybe you should think about you know, pulling this product back or or what have you. But if your your answer is maybe we can do more, then yeah, I think finding ways, especially for uh, non Apple phones, to alert you, finding more proactive ways to alert people, and uh, you know, basically finding ways to disincentivize people from using it like this. If you want to keep this as a going concern, is the most important part of it, uh, because fundamentally, at the end of the day, it gets down to changing people's behavior. And the best lever Apple has for doing that is changing the way their products work so that those people will think twice and not use it for those purposes. You can't always stop everybody, but you can make it a lot less attractive. So uh, I think it's something that Apple needs to look at. And, and fortunately, it sounds like these are changes they can make sort of remotely on the fly. 
uh, in terms of how the network works. So it's not something where you'll have to like be forced to update your software or whatever. But I, I think it does it show that maybe they haven't thought through all the implications of these products, uh, and they should do that more before introducing them. Um, I realize we went on for a while on that one, but thank you all for your thoughts on that topic. Let's go to our second topic, which comes from Gene. Well, according to the internet, this is clean out your inbox week. And are you celebrating? And if so, what is your favorite tool or tip for success in this task? I didn't know it was clean out your inbox week. Um, I do now, and I do not plan on cleaning out my inbox. Um, I So what I do is... I keep my emails pretty much read, but uh, I also will use a lot of different uh, built-in filtering tools. So Gmail has a lot of filtering tools that I use for my work account um, and my private Gmail account. And that has been helpful um, in marking things as read that I don't actually need until I need to search for it. Um, there's a weekly email that goes out for work that I, uh, need on a day that I have a show, but it comes out a few, you know, a few days before the day of the show. And so I can just use uh, a text expander snippet to find that after it's been marked as read so that it's not kind of clogging up my email. Um, I don't have notifications for emails turned on on my, on any of my devices. So it's just a few times a day I go in and look at emails, um, because the most important conversations or most uh, kind of up to the moment conversations that I have take place in other places. Um, so yeah, I think I kind of, I just removed the badge that tells me how many emails I have versus <laughs> actually going uh, in box zero. Matthew, what do you do? Um, I have also became become that person who just doesn't clear their inbox. I just looked because I almost never actually check. And it, my like last time I pretty much cleaned out my inbox was the second I quit my traditional job. And then now since I've been working independent, I just haven't cared at all. So that really is a good break from email, I think. But also I have been, it's been on my to-do list and I've got like 8,000 in there now. So I'm pretty sure I could just mark <laughs> all as archived and I just don't do it. It's like all newsletters and everything like that, but yeah, uh, I don't really use email anymore, which is a blessing. <laughs> I really thought I was going to have a hot take here about never clean out your inbox. Um, but it turns out everybody's doing that now. So I feel like maybe I was just ahead of the game. Uh, I, yes. I had a little chuckle when you said 8,000 uh, emails in your inbox, Matthew. I've got 114,000. <laughs> Oh my God. I just don't do it. What what is the point? I, I the the overhead for me of the time it spend I have to spend thinking about that and cleaning it out. It's just not worth it. Like uh, I, it doesn't hurt. I, if I need something, I search for it. Everything's in the inbox. If I need to file stuff, it just takes me a long time. I, I basically flag things where I need to respond to stuff or I want to refer to stuff. And then when I'm done with it, I unflag things. And so there are a few things that hang out in my sort of flag pile for longer periods of time. But mostly I go through that pretty frequently and just sort of, you know, unflag stuff when I'm done with it. I delete junk that comes in. I delete stuff that I don't need as much as possible. I've been trying to unsubscribe from more and more yeah, lists. That is my I big thing. A lot. Yeah. Um, but it, it really, at the end of the day, uh, all of my, I have no impetus to get to inbox zero for me it just doesn't affect me and and i i worry way more about cleaning it out 
than I do if I just let it go. Like I just, I was just <laughs> freeing. It's freeing to not worry about it. So that's, that's my hot advice is never clean out your inbox. It's bad. Gene, uh, Gene, <laughs> convince me I'm wrong. <laughs> no, I wasn't actually. I, I, I just thought it was funny that there was such a quaint uh, holiday or whatever. <laughs> and apparently it's a holiday I celebrate once every four years, like leap year, because, mm-hmm. uh, the fir- the last time I got to zero, it was uh, when uh, James Dempsey and I started our productivity podcast uh, four years ago, and we that was our first thing that we tackled, and we were pretty happy with ourselves. Since then, you know, and we've never gotten up to the uh, hundred thousand plus level again, um, but I have definitely let it go into you know, the low thousands. And uh, the only reason I don't have a 100,000 is because in that process, I um, started using an app called Maelstrom, which can um, let you like really like power through your inbox and delete like whole swaths of stupid email that you don't need or, um, or archive whole, you know, whole topics, whole uh, senders, whatever, like it, you don't have to go one by one. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's when I get slowed down at Maelstrom is once I've processed things that have like, you know, 10 to 50 emails associated with it. And I get to the one-offs. I'm like, well, this isn't fun anymore. So mm-hmm. yeah. That's right. That's but right. anyway, yeah, I think uh, I think we just gave everybody like uh, in the audience a sigh of relief as well. Cause, uh, I hope so. I think- yeah. You have permission to not <laughs> clean out your inbox. Don't worry about it. Uh, all right. Well, that's two topics down, two topics left to go, which, of course, means it's halftime here at Clockwise. And this week's episode is brought to you by Trade. How do you take your coffee? A full-bodied roast? Something light? We all have our preferences, and no matter what you love to drink, Trade Coffee makes it easy to brew your best cup at home. Trade sells the freshest roasted and ethically sourced beans from America's best independent roasters. They ship free to you as often as you like, whole or ground. Whether you're a coffee nerd or just want a better daily cup, Trade's real coffee experts taste test over 400 roasts and use technology to match you to your ideal coffee based on your preferences and brewing method. Just take the coffee quiz to get started. Trade Coffee guarantees you'll love your first bag or they'll replace it for free. Trade has been featured by the New York Times, Wired, GQ, and has delivered over 5 million bags of coffee. Their subscription is no hassle, skip shipments, change of frequency, or cancel at any time. Uh, We've been using Trade. They very nicely uh, hooked us up. Uh, I am actually not much of a coffee drinker, but my wife is a huge coffee drinker. So I sort of was like, well, what do you want? And uh, she's been drinking some more decaf lately. And so she got the Joe Nightcap House decaf, which he has been really enjoying. It's a nice break from her usual stuff. Uh, I enjoyed taking the coffee quiz and going through with her and helping her decide like, oh, what kind of flavors do you like or what are you looking for? And I I thought it was really cool and really friendly and easy to use. So uh, that was a lot of fun. For our listeners right now, Trade Coffee is offering a total of $20 off your first three bags when you go to drinktrade.com slash clockwise. To get started, take their quiz at drinktrade.com slash clockwise and start your journey to your perfect cup. That's drinktrade.com slash clockwise. Our thanks to Trade for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, halftime is over. Micah, tell us about your topic. First, I want to say, I think a lot of us are switching to decaf because we're getting enough caffeine from our anxiety. It seems <laughs> like so many people I know, including myself, have been drinking uh, decaffeinated coffee. Uh, all right. So my question for you is, um, there's a, a report in Input Magazine that says that Twitter is working on a feature called the Flock feature, where you can basically just tweet to 
people who you mark as your close friends. It's a lot like Instagram's uh, close friends feature. I just would like to know, would you be interested in a feature like this where you just tweet to your close friends? Matthew? I am not sure because I've been part of the Twitter communities experiment that they're doing where you can have like almost the exact same thing, but around a specific topic instead of just people that you like. And it is sort of weird that the tweets just don't go anywhere. Like part of what Twitter is, is about like sharing with many people. And it's weird that even though while you can share with just those people, it's like everybody else will always miss out on that. And it's like the only tweets that aren't available publicly at a URL also. And so for the way that I use Twitter, I'm not totally sure. But also I could see like trying to just in the same way of what I wanted to get out of the community was the ability to like, for me specifically, just talk with some people about shortcuts in a way that I guess, see, the point is that other people could also participate in and join in. So I'm not sure. I don't think it's for me, actually. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, at first blush, I thought this is interesting. And then I thought, well, I already have places where I talk with just my friends. I call it Slack. Uh, and so <laughs> maybe maybe this isn't exactly what I thought. But at the same time, I, I think there is a, an attractive attraction to sharing stuff that maybe you don't want to share with an entire huge audience to people that you know more closely. I mean, Instagram already has a feature that's kind of like this. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me that Twitter was looking into it as well. Uh, I think the biggest thing that would sort of make me hesitate is is whether there's any API access for third-party clients because I pretty much live my Twitter life in a third-party client. And if I have to jump into a Twitter client in order to do it, it's basically a non-starter for me. So I, in short, I, I think the idea is interesting, but I am really interested in sort of the implementation details to see whether or not it's something that I would use. Jean? Well, I am not very much on Twitter these days, so I can't say. But one of the things that would concern me is like... <laughs> People already have a way of using Twitter. I think they would find a lot of uh, problems with this implementation. One being that, what is the point? To me, the point would be like, oh, I could tweet about, let's say, a specific topic that I know my average tech mm -hmm. friends wouldn't care about, um, you know, to a small group. That would be interesting to me, but uh, but it would just also make it more complicated. And so I think, you know, there is something about the fact that anybody can see your tweets and um, anybody, you know, who's following you will see them that ha people get uh, sort of a feel for what works on Twitter. And it would totally uh, throw a monkey wrench into your like thinking about Twitter and thinking more about Twitter is not what I want to be doing. <laughs> <laughs> good um, all good answers. So I've got uh Quite a few friends, actually, uh, Twitter and Twitter friends who ha who set up alt accounts, you know, accounts where they can say things that they wouldn't normally say on their normal accounts. And I, you know, felt a little bit of FOMO. So I set up an alt account at one point and I quickly realized that. I'm just not made for an alt account. There, There's nothing like spicy or what have you that I would want to say on that account that I would not just say on my normal account. And so alt accounts ended up not really being for me per se, but it made me think that maybe a close friends feature could be something where... Um, you know, I, I particularly think about uh, the times when I've had thoughts uh, surrounding um, different kind of fiery topics and, and things like that, that um, I'm more 
trying to just have conversations with my group of friends and where that could potentially be a good place for it. But then I also think about how it's important for those conversations to be had in a way that more people can potentially learn from it. So yeah, I don't I don't really use Instagram's close friends feature with stories. Um, I'm always honored whenever I see that I'm in someone else's close friends and, and get to see their stories. <laughs> um, but yeah, alt accounts and all that kind of thing, I think just uh, aren't aren't for me. All right, that is that. Let us move on to our final topic, which comes from Matthew. All right, so the fine folks at Elgato released a foot pedal version of the Stream Deck alongside their mini, normal, and XL sizes, which are huge. And so these are awesome for automating your Mac, and you can use shortcuts, keyboard maestro, all these different types of tools. I assume since everyone on this is a podcast person, you would probably use the mute, a mute pedal for this. I've been using my stream deck to mute this entire episode so far. So I'm curious, are there other automations that you would trigger? And also if, if it was based on this hardware, is there a different piece of hardware that you would use to trigger something like that? Oh, Matthew served this one right up for me. Uh, I, because I, I did see this the other day when it came out and thought to myself over at six colors, Jason Snell and I have been writing about our workflow for taking notes during podcasts. So you can sort of mark, uh, when are things you need to go back and edit? And it's like, oh, I could see, could definitely see this being useful for that. Like I could have a couple different pedals for like, oh, somebody coughed in the background or there, uh, you know, a train went by outside or something like that. Um, but I, I like the idea of using it to mute as well. I don't know what else I would use it for, though. I mean, like part of my in my head, I was just now I was like, oh, man, I wonder if I could set up all my lights to do like a like a disco ball effect when I hit the button and it turns my turns my room into an instant party. Uh, but yeah, I, I like this idea a lot. Actually, somebody years ago was asking me about something for uh, like dictation for because they were doing like transcription and having a, a foot pedal to stop and start things so that they could continue dictation. I was like, yep, that actually would be great. And it's cool that, that they have a, an aspect for that. So uh, I don't know. This is for me. I'm I'm still learning the ins and outs of my little stream deck. So uh, I like the idea, but I don't I don't think I have quite the use case for it just yet. <laughs> Jean? Fair. Well, Matthew, thank you because you cost me money. I have, <laughs> until now, uh, totally avoid Googling Stream Deck to see what it is because people talk about them. And I'm like, I don't need that. I don't even know what it is. And now I do. Um, I think that the pedal thing is a really cool idea. Um, Mute would definitely uh, be one. And probably for me, like a do not disturb. Sometimes I forget to put it on when I'm... Uh, Oh yeah. When I'm podcasting totally. and if <laughs> I could just trigger that without having to find my phone or click on something on the screen that would be awesome. I I will make you that shortcut. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We're going to go on a quick little journey here. Um, so I'm bi, and there's this ongoing joke that queer people don't know how to sit in chairs. Uh, you can look it up if you want to, but I am one of those queer people who doesn't know how to sit in chairs, which means that usually my legs are up in the chair or over the chair or something like that. I would love to use one of these, but my feet are almost never on the ground is what I'm getting at. <laughs> I think that the pedal is super cool, but yes, I because um, I was thinking about it, I was like, oh, it'd be great to have it as my cough switch instead of the one that I have on my desk from rolls. Um, but again, then I would have to like bang my knee against the desk as I'm rearranging myself to get my feet back on the floor uh, to be able to mute it whenever I needed to. That said, I'm still probably going to buy this because I'm a fool. And I do think that it's a really cool way to, especially during uh, shows where I do appear on camera, where 
only when the camera's not on me can I rearrange myself in the chair. <laughs> but I definitely still do that. But um, it would, you know, kind of keep me and myself more oriented, uh, facing forward and everything, and would be able to switch between the different scenes as opposed to like, showing my hand moving over to the stream deck that I have and, and switching between the different scenes that I use for iOS today. Uh, in any case, I do think this is a really cool product. And Matthew, I can't wait to see what you do with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is awesome. Um, I think those are all great examples. And Dan, I want to get your podcast note thing set up for myself, too. <laughs> um, I think I, I also saw that this is just great for accessibility, which is cool. Like mm -hmm. the Stream Deck stuff obviously requires the mobility to reach over and tap that. And if you're just sitting there, in, maybe you have mobility issues or just you just want to be still and stuff like that, too. It makes a lot of sense. Um, when I tweeted about this, somebody else said that you can have MIDI inputs control keyboard maestro. And they were like, you should play the drums to write your newsletter. And I was like, oh my <laughs> God, I have an electric drum kit. I could literally do this. And then I was like, the hi-hat is dictation. And then the arrow, <laughs> like this, the toms are the arrow keys and then stuff like that. So I might actually do this, but it is one of those things where I'll be like doing it for three hours and be, look up and be like, what am I doing? <laughs> I tried so. this in my newsletter, just read. All right. That's four topics. We have just enough time for a quick, 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 quick bonus topic before we wrap up today. Just tell me, do you have a favorite animal? Uh, Gene, I served this one up for you. <laughs> I thought so. Yes, I'm going to say guinea pig, but I've also upsized to capybara. So currently capybara is my favorite animal. Nice. Mimic octopus. So cool. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. <laughs> uh, my cat, Oliver. I'm going to pick a specific animal. Oh, that's very nice. Uh, oh, great. For me, red pandas. Although every time I go to the Washington Zoo to see the red pandas, they're always hiding, which is a bummer. Uh, someday, someday I'll see them and we'll be best friends. All right, that's all the time we have this week. And all that remains for us is to thank our fantastic guest, Gene McDonald. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. And Matthew Casanelli, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. And we'll be back next week. But until then, we remind everybody listening out there watch what you say and keep watching the.